0: Welcome back to another episode of the Messy Reformation. My name is Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co host is Willie Cronkie. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation in our denomination. But we recognize anytime Reformation happens, it's always messy. And we're seeing it get messy now in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. We want to say thanks to all of you who are faithfully listening every week and faithfully sharing this with other people. Keep up the good work. Our reach is expanding. Conversations are happening. And Reformation is coming. If you haven't already... Take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Brian Cornelis. Brian, why don't you get us started by just telling us a little bit about um, who you are and where you're at your church and, and your family. Yeah, great.
1: Uh, I've been serving here at uh, Bethel CRC in Edgerton uh, for coming up on four years, and uh, really blessed, really blessed time so far. Um, I'm married. My wife Mallory, and then I have three children: Annika's seven, Judah's no, Annika I just turned. They just had a birthday. Annika's eight, and Judah's six, and uh, then we have a six-month-old son, Asher. And uh, so we're blessed with them, busy with them. Uh, my wife ends up absorbing most of their energy, but uh, I do what I can. So yeah, uh, Bethel has been a great place to serve. I serve here with uh, um, a good friend and colleague, um, assistant pastor, Marlon Vinscapin. Uh, he's a commissioned pastor in our classes, and he's a big help and asset here too, and um Along with the other brothers, elders, and deacons, and yeah, awesome work.
0: So, is uh, is Bethel your first call, or or did you have a church before that going there?
1: It's uh, I guess what you'd call the first traditional call. So, uh, my wife and I were missionaries for about five years um, in Austria, in Vienna, Austria. And so, well, yeah, back up, I. I got done with seminary in 2011, and then we were went down to Texas for a year in Austin, Texas, and I was doing a, a chaplaincy residency, and I got ordained while I was doing that, and, and during that time, we were actively working on uh, a way to go overseas, and so that materialized at, well, yeah, in 2012, and then we went and we're in Austria. We were partner missionaries. That wow is now resonate for five years
0: okay and so is that something like growing up you always wanted to do is go overseas or at what point did god start laying that on your heart
1: yeah i remember thinking about that i remember thinking about that as a really young kid i, I think probably um is if, from when i was probably first converted i remember having these thoughts as a young kid about well the world is a really big place and there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus, and how many people are going and telling them? And um, I just remember thinking that really young, and so that kind of always stayed with me. And um, then my my wonderful wife always had an interest in spending some years doing that, and had a heart for Europe in particular, having had a good friend from there, um, and kind of having that personal connection to see the struggles of the church in Europe. And um, you know, Austria is is a uh, considered uh, a almost an unreached or nearly the category of an unreached people group. Wow. Um, Just because of the, the very, very low percentage of evangelical Christianity there. And um, it's kind of a unique, it's kind of a a perfect storm in Europe of it. It was on the, what you call the right side of the iron curtain, but the wrong side in the sense that it wasn't been actively um, sought after by missionaries and you know people were based in austria to get on the other side of the iron curtain to bring bibles and to do ministry um but then the reformation never it was the part of europe where the reformation never really took root so hmm. it, it wasn't really actively evangelized and it was never reformed and so um, it's it's still most of the evangelical churches there are in their first generation
2: wow that had to have been a very interesting experience. Um, I'm kind of wondering, I mean, you, you said you and your wife were were missionaries. I'm kind of wondering what led to your uh, kind of transition from missionary life into a full-time pastoral ministry. When did you know that uh, that God was calling you into that and, and shaping you to be a pastor?
1: Yeah, that's good. Um, the short answer is the Lord used my wife in remarkable ways to steer me in that way and uh, i think she knew she she knew things before i did she knew that i'd probably been actually even though i had had from a young age a sense of wanting to go be a missionary i think she could tell from pretty early on that the long-term calling was for me to be in regular pulpit ministry and you know in in my own cultural context and that i had been avoiding that it's eventually and uh So she really had a big influence in that, in pointing that out to me, uh, which was extremely gracious of her because she loved living in Europe and uh, she loved a lot of things about that. And I think all things being equal apart from that, she would have stayed, but, um, Mm. it was extremely selfless and gracious of her to point that out and follow that through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. Our wives are, uh. Are major assets, huh? <laughs> not yeah. more than major assets. I mean, my my right. wife has had a profound effect on who I am as a pastor by um yeah. yeah, I think doing some of those same things that you were saying, pointing out strengths and 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 obviously weaknesses too, right? Saying maybe you're not exactly. as good at this as you think you right. are, but maybe you're better right. at this than you think you are, and trying to help lead and guide that's that's huge. Absolutely. Yeah. So what was the most difficult part about transitioning from doing ministry in Austria to doing ministry in Minnesota?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, boy, you know, once, once we landed here, I don't know if I would say there was anything particularly difficult. It's it, I mean, ministry always has its challenges, but, um, I just did have such a, such a sense that like, this was really the Lord's will. And, um, and it was just blessed with a sense of that from the beginning. I mean, there was hard parts in the transition from living in Europe to, to until we landed here. And that's, you know, just a sense of like, well, was this right? Did we sense this right? You know, not having a job for a while and that's hard to deal with. And, but yeah, um, once we landed here, it was like, yeah, this is this is this is
0: right. This is the right fit. So. Mm. It's awesome. Yeah, just that that assurance of being in the Lord's will is huge um, for any yeah. transition like that. Um, I've yeah. told people that and counseled other pastors in that too. Um, yeah, trying to be cer- as certain as you can about God's calling and, and leading is is huge for um, just a sense of peace and assurance, but also just longevity too. Right? I think yeah, we can endure. Absolutely we can endure a lot of pain and hardship if we know that we're in the Lord's will, even in the midst of that hardship.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: I was just, I was just talking to somebody about that this week. There's this, uh, oh, no, I got to make sure I remember. I think it's first Corinthians 16, nine, but I'd have to, but where Paul says, um, Hey, I want to go spend time with you guys in Corinth, but I'm going to stay in Ephesus longer because God has opened up a wide door for ministry here. Mm -hmm. And there are many adversaries. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. saying like things are not easy here. There's a lot of adversaries, but God's opened up a door for ministry, so I'm going to stay. And so, and so he knew that God's call was for him to stay there, even though it wasn't easy, and he was going to keep fighting the good fight there.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's you know, Paul uses obviously many metaphors, but one that he likes is uh, it's not his only metaphor or his most controlling one, but one of a soldier. He calls people fellow soldiers, and so you know. Insofar as he's thinking of that metaphor, soldiers go where there's trouble. Yeah. So soldiers Amen. go where's the, where the enemy is. So,
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's another one I've looked at over the years when I get frustrated in my pastoral vocation. I, he talks about soldiers like you're going to suffer and you're going to do what your master tells you to do. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what you're called to do. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of what, uh, you know, even Jesus says through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. Uh, You know, and and he didn't he didn't cruise into glory uh, just willy nilly, but he entered it through blood, sweat and tears. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's a good reminder for us. Um, Brian, I'm actually wondering, how long have you been in the CRC for? Have you kind of been born, raised, grown up in here or were you introduced into the CRC later on in life? Uh,
1: Born, raised and grown up. Yep. So I I went to the same the same christian Reformed church from before i could walk until i left home
0: wow it was at uh where was that at
1: that was in visalia california okay first crc and now it's called visalia crc visalia california
0: okay yeah i know the church yeah i've got a friend that serves there okay um, Sure. Or did serve there? I think he he moved now to another church, but yeah, that's that's yeah. surprising because I was guessing I was guessing you were a Midwest guy. I don't know why I just had this <laughs> assumption that while well, moving yeah. into Edgerton and feeling right. really comfortable there, I was like, oh, well, yeah. he must be a Midwest guy. But right, um, there was
1: some overlap, you know. That was largely an agricultural community as well, uh, and, and this is this is too. So uh, there's certainly plenty of differences, but um,
2: yeah,
0: so. Um, what's been, have you had involvement in the CRC outside? You know you've been connected with, uh, resonate now, and, and now you're yeah. serving as a lead pastor. Are you involved in classical ministries or denominational ministries or what's kind of your involvement in some of the denominational stuff?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, on, on classes level, um, you know, we, we actually started this committee not that long after I got here, um, called the vision Minn Kota committee and, um, the the origin of that was you know Minn Kota has had a certain uh, reputation in the denomination uh, sometimes for good or ill depending on who you ask but um, and part of that mm-hmm. commit the, the the mandate of that committee was to um, how how can we take the convictions that are we are so blessed to share broadly in Minn Kota and continue to advocate for them in the denomination in a way that's more winsome and. Um, mm. And influential and um and also then you know going the other way to keep the classes just you know more aware of what's going on in the broader denomination. And so that's been that's been good to serve on. That's kind of like you know, bridge the gap between classes and denomination. Um and then you know, there's uh, I've been serving on this just very recently created steering committee um that's looking at how we can uh well, steer the CRC back to to biblical faithfulness when it comes to sexual sexual ethics. Yeah, and um, so that's been a a privilege to serve. Uh, you know, I, I say I say honestly, I, I'm I'm really humbled to have these roles because I I feel like most of the people on this committee these committees are uh, well, they're certainly more well connected than I am, and um, they're wise and godly men, and uh, but whatever I can contribute, I'm glad to.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, well I've been I've been appreciative of of things I've heard you say and and uh but I've also I, I know the feeling uh, talking with a lot of those guys too that sure. we we we're really gifted. That is one of the things that's come up as we've inter- interviewed various pastors that um as frustrated as we can get sometimes with the CRC we have some really really good solid godly men who are pastoring churches um in our denomination
2: and that's really is
0: a blessing. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think Brian, the first time you and I actually connected was at uh the 2019 Synod Correct. Uh, that was yep. held in Grand Rapids. Yeah. Um was that your first time being a delegate to Synod? Yeah, it was. Yep. Okay. Yep. How did uh how did you how did you think that experience went? I know I know there's kind of a range of opinions of uh how people thought that went or positive or negative interactions, but uh What was your what was your main takeaway?
1: Oh, boy. Yeah. It was quite an eye opening experience, quite a learning experience. You know, I know a lot of people say this, like when you go to the Senate for the first time, you feel like you just got it figured out and then it's over. Um, (laughs) There was certainly some of that. Uh, It was a trying time, you know, without going into details, just the sub the whatever the subcommittee, whatever it's called, I was on was very difficult and there was some tough fallout with that but um so (laughs) it was tough one of the things that struck me i guess that just comes up now in thinking about it was you hear all of this talk at synod about the leading of the spirit the leading of the spirit the leading of the spirit and to which i say of course amen and yet never or almost never in my hearing was that ever paired with the word.
0: And that struck
1: me. That that omission struck me. Uh, I never heard the leading of the word in spirit, but the spirit in the absence of the word. And that was concerning. And um, uh, that's just something that stands out, I guess, in a more of an unfortunate way. But... um,
0: yeah, that's a that's a pretty glaring omission, though, right? Especially coming out of our uh, reformed heritage, where we say the word and spirit always go together. Right. Um, we we don't have one apart from the other, and so if, you, and and usually, well, this will be really more pessimistic, but that's okay. Um, usually, when people are talking about the spirit and trying to divorce it from the word, is because they don't really appreciate what the word is saying. And right. So yeah. You start, to, you
1: start to wonder at some point if that's being omitted on purpose or I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what, when you, when you left synod, this is a question I like to ask people sometimes when you left synod, what were you feeling at that point? Uh, I I was feeling a lot
1: of anxiety to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, But part of that was because of what I I mentioned, there were some really unfortunate interpersonal things that happened and even some Mm -hmm. um, threats made that were, that had to be dealt with. Uh, hmm. So I, I was feeling pretty anxious. Yeah. I love Synod. And some of those things kind of overshadowed the rest of the experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember talking to a couple delegates who went to not 2019, but 2016 okay. um, when the sexuality report was commissioned. And I mean, that was a really, really tense Synod. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And I remember talking to a couple of those delegates and they said, it took us two weeks to recover after that I one because we yep. were just so you know, frustrated anxious wore out emotionally i mean just everything they're like we yeah. just we needed two weeks to just get back on our feet
1: Yep. yeah
0: yeah so and it's I not know. it's not where everybody gets together holds hands and sings kumbaya right <laughs> <laughs> no no yeah well, so being someone who's uh, grown up in the cRC your your whole life and and interacted with the cRC, what do you see as some of the strengths of our denomination? I think
1: our our confessions are are an enormous strength they're they're a treasure and um, to have them is a gift and a responsibility and um, that that is a great a great strength um, and so so needed um you know i i have a lot i have friends that i've talked to that have struggled with their experience of what what we would call i guess although this is getting stretched more and more evangelical christianity and their experience mm-hmm. in evangelical churches that are non-confessional is um that the, the, well, it's just hard to hold it together and um they you know their convictions just keep getting reduced to uh well really whoever holds the most sway personally in that context and uh and i i've seen friends get disillusioned with that because because of those dynamics but having having confessions that rudder and guide and and give give boundaries and limits is such a blessing and such a wise thing
0: so yeah that's uh Uh, I've got a friend who who grew up in uh, kind of the charismatic, he came to faith in the charismatic movement, grew up in the charismatic movement. And uh, he came to the CRC because of our confessions. Yeah, Um, great. And a lot of that came out of this. um, He said he had this kind of real breaking point in the charismatic tradition where he went to the, he had to drive this prophet up to this prophet's conference. Okay. In up in Minnesota or maybe northern Wisconsin, I don't know, somewhere. And in the yeah. middle of this prophets conference, there was a prophet fight. And they're oh. like prophets started, these prophets were standing up and prophesying against one another. Oh and God. uh, and so he was driving the kind of the head prophet back to the airplane, and he said, Boy, I'm really struggling with this. How do you know which one's the true spirit if they're prophesying contradictory things. And the, the head prophet guy said, well, you just, you just go with whoever has the most revelation. And he said, wow. okay, well, how do I know who has the most revelation? And the guy said, well, you're looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he yeah. said, boy, I didn't like that answer at all. Right. And so he started looking for something more firm to be able to kind of ground his faith and and so that moved yeah. him out of the charismatic movement to something to the Christian Reformed Church. He found the Heidelberg Catechism and he found yeah. the Belgic and the Canons of Dort and he started reading and studying all of those actually in a charismatic church and then uh wow. and then found himself in the Christian Reformed Church. But because of the confessions because he realized this is a good solid place to help us wow. stand yeah
1: Yeah, that's a great testimony. We need to hear more stories like that, because there's certainly, you know, an opinion that floats around that, that these are things that are holding us back. And um, it's just not true. And so that's good to hear.
0: Yeah, don't you think uh, some of the, you know, the people who I've noticed who've appreciated um, our confessions and, uh, and our church order as well um, are actually people who've come into our denomination from outside. And actually most yeah. of them have been charismatics because we had just, we had this charismatic church in town that kind of blew okay. up. And then a bunch of them came to our Christian reform church. And so everything was new to them, but they yeah. would regularly tell me, man, we love your confessions. This church order thing is amazing. And they, <laughs> you know, and, uh, we grow up with it and we kind of take it for granted and think, ah, oh, this is just kind of, you know, it's easy to think it's boring. It's, Right. It's not helpful. It's actually holding us back. Yeah. And uh, it was actually the people in my church who had grown up in the CRC their whole life that were always frustrated with church order. They were yeah. like, man, it's not letting us do the things we want to do. And right. I'm like, yeah, well, there's a reason for that.
1: That's right. It's, it, it's helpful guardrails.
0: Yeah. And,
1: um, unfortunately, I just think there were a lot of people that were taught the confessions by people who didn't love them and um, mm-hmm. or were taught, mm-hmm. taught in a way that they were made to seem dry and dusty yeah. and um, that's really sad because uh, they're they're wonderful proclamations of the never-ending good news of god
0: Jesus and so let's let's yeah
1: teach them with joy
0: so that, on that note i want to ask you a question at what point did you start loving the confessions
1: yeah i think you know i i liked them from an early age and um this was this was part of i think maybe the you know the first beginnings of the lord eventually directing me into ministry um I remember as a teenager thinking like, wow, this is really neat. <laughs> and I remember thinking, uh, am I the only one that thinks this out of this out of this group of kids? Um, and I remember being eager to go to catechism class, um which I also thought maybe was weird, but um I I really genuinely did. Um and I was I was just interested in the in in the whole the whole breadth of scripture and the whole breadth of the reality of god that's contained in them i wouldn't have said mm-hmm. it that way at that age but um yeah i would say early on just by the grace of god i i think uh
0: they gripped me yeah early on. that's awesome that's a gift that's a true gift mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i didn't have sure. that experience I, I i mean just honestly i didn't appreciate I didn't get a lot of catechism instruction growing up, but the stuff I did get, um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. Um, how about you, Willie? What, what, for you, What at what point did you start kind of loving the confessions?
2: Oh, that's a interesting question. Um, I was probably a really late teenager, probably 19. Uh, and it was honestly from people, you know, Jason, such as yourself and, and others that we'd be familiar with who kind of gave me some reading materials. Um, not necessarily the confessions themselves, but just kind of theological, a more theological diet than what I was intaking at that point. Um, and honestly, then it was sitting in, um, uh, Tom Kiddock's Heidelberg catechism class. Uh, I, I got out of high school, I graduated and wasn't going to go off to school right away. So, um, uh, Nine thirty showed up, and I thought, oh, what am I going to do?" There's, there's no, <laughs> you know, there's no high school teenage uh, Sunday school group to go to. Where do I go? So, I stepped into the confessions class, and uh, after the catechism, they taught their way through the Belgian Confession, and I think they're still going through it. Um, so, I would say through experiences like that, and kind of reading material given by uh, people such as yourself. Uh, and being kind of mentored and discipled into a mindset that's more of a reformed um, way, way of thinking. That was huge for me, but that did not happen for me early on either. Um, I, 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 I did have a couple of really good, solid catechism teachers when I was growing up, but that was before I was in Christ, so my heart really wasn't engaged much. Uh, and then after the Spirit was at work in me, then I became to appreciate His Word uh, and the truth, and then the truths of the confessions. Uh, so that I was a late bloomer, probably maybe even early twenties, late teens.
0: Yeah, there's something about just having people too, right, around you who love the confessions. And we had a couple of guys in our church too that that really loved the confessions. You'd ask them a question, and they'd show you the answer from the confessions and from God's word, and they'd kind of keep connecting the dots all the time. And mm-hmm. and that was for me. Um, that was huge in that for me. Uh-huh. So Brian, what what do you see as you kind of look out across our denomination now then? um what are what are some of the things that are concerning you right now?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know, we talked a lot about the confessions, but you know, the reason we the reason we love the confessions is because they're faithful. Uh, their faithful accounts of the word of God and their faithful uh, summaries of the word of God, and you know, we could we could all point to all sorts of various concerning developments and trends and things like that. And I just keep seeing those as symptoms of a deeper disease, and um, probably near the root, if not at the root, is a is a loss of. The love of the word of God, a loss of trembling at the word of God, a loss of a loss of um, confidence in the word of God. And that's concerning Mm -hmm. where where you see that leading. I think that's what's to some degree underneath a lot of the particular concerning trends. Um, So, you know, I pray earnestly for that. For, for a return of a trembling at the Word of God, for men in the pulpit to preach it with confidence.
0: That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for our part two of our conversation with Brian Cornelis. Until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and He bought it with His blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.